Welcome to the Reboot Instars Podcast. Today's episode is part two of a talk Jimmy had with Leslie Poole and Mike McFerrin. If you've not listened to the previous episode, we recommend going back and listening to that one first. In this episode, the group looks at another pitcher, once again diving deep into mechanics. This conversation relies heavily on video, so again, you may want to watch online. Please enjoy Jimmy's conversation with Leslie and Mike. All right, let's should we move on to the picture that Leslie brought to us? Absolutely. Do you want to do you want to introduce this Leslie at all? Yeah, I don't know what to say about him. This is a current college pitcher. I don't want to name him just for his own privacy if he would like that, I don't know. But he was throwing harder out of high school than he was I don't know if he's considered a junior this year because of COVID last year or what, but this year he had lost ground. He was having some some pain in his elbow. And it just doesn't make sense why you would have, you can see he's at Arizona, it's a great school with everything they need. So why would he go backwards? Why would he suddenly be experiencing a problem that he'd never had a problem with before? So I thought this was an interesting case of, instead of what we did to, to make it better, considering what could have possibly gone wrong here. And then of course, how do we get out of it? So I guess, yeah, Leslie, what's, what's the first uh, thing that you see that you'd want to like chat through with? You talked about the acute angle. He's not uh, getting into an acute angle. Everything is very long. I think everything is very long because he's moving so forward the whole time. Instead of putting the left foot out first and being able to push yourself back, he is still moving forward. He hasn't pushed back at all. So then the arm couldn't get in the right position. It didn't have time because it already needs to be following the torso forward. So he ends up very upright, less able to use the core in terms of just rotation and in terms of just pulling through. So the arm is having to work really hard on its own. I think that helps explain the elbow. And I, I don't know what he looked like three years ago, but to me, this just looks very rushed. It looks like somebody has been telling him to hurry up to get down the mound or, or something like that. Yeah. And I, it looks like he's striding really far. And this is something who knows where it came from, but this is something I hear a lot. Like extension has become a thing that people talk about a lot, like perceived velocity, release the ball closer to home plate. Well, <laughs> if you try to get down the mound super far and you lose your real velocity by five miles an hour, the fact that you've got two extra inches of extension is not going to help you. Inches might break your pitch. So like extension, it really actually frustrates me when people talk about it so much because extension is actually something that happens with your arm as a byproduct of doing things earlier in the chain on time. It's not something that you like strive for. It's a byproduct of doing other things. Yeah. But, but I think like it's going back to going back to Rooney or, or like relating this back to Rooney. I love like the same thing, Mike, that you said for Rooney with, with this pitcher here, with what he's doing with his stride. Because he's creating that hip shoulder separation. If you go back a few frames, Mike, there's some separation there. But he's, but as the, as he's, as he's coming out of it, his foot isn't even on the ground. Do you want to, Mike or Leslie, do you want to chat through that a little bit more? And I want to say real quick that the extension or the stride length is the job there is to be fast. And if you are trying to stride longer, just for the sake of striding longer, you might be doing something to the detriment of your entire pitch. So stride length, uh, stride as far as you can with excellent mechanics. Don't stride so far that your mechanics break down. Yeah, because I think, like Mike was saying, like the idea is to to catch the momentum, the energy that you're generating, pushing off, and then transfer it up the chain. 
it's not, it's not like you're not trying to, okay, from a physics perspective, I'm not trying to accelerate my center of mass. I'm not trying to make my belly button go as fast as it can towards home plate. I'm trying to make the ball go as fast as it can towards home. Yeah. Plate. And you can't rush to the point where the ball starts moving fast. You're right. a pitcher. Yeah. You don't have a time timeline. You take your whole pitch. Yeah. So the first thing I might, from my perspective, the first thing I might tackle here is exactly, I think what, what Mike said for Rooney, and I'm just going to borrow his words is, is just catching that energy sooner so that he can leverage that separation that he's creating and the space to generate more like to add more momentum that he's getting through that front foot. Yeah. And if you do have an athlete that is pretty strong and he, like hearing words as like a description of what your body is doing, and then actually you, doing it, you can't catch it sooner. If your foot's not on the ground, if the toe's not on the ground, you can't catch it yet. So you're going to keep sliding through space until that toe hits the ground. Yeah. Yeah, it makes total sense. And while we're still on the on the lower half, Mike, do you want to back it up to as he's pushing off? Mm-hmm. So from a physics perspective, and I'll let you guys explain it from the coaching perspective, we're trying to get, trying to create this cartwheel type momentum around that center of mass, around that belly button, right? Like we were talking about with, with Rooney and, and that upper leg, that femur, we want that foot to hit the ground and we want this cartwheel momentum where the upper half like whips over that, that hip and over that center of mass. But if, if the first thing that you do as you're pushing off is you like sink that center of mass, you're losing that north-south cartwheel plane that you're trying to create. Because if we go now, Mike, if you wouldn't mind going like all the way through to release. And yeah, a few more frames. Yeah. So he is, it is like a high three-quarter arm slide. So he's trying to create that like north-south cartwheeling, I guess, Ferris wheel type momentum. But the first thing he's doing is like sinking really low and just like counteracting the direction that he's trying to accelerate the ball. Yeah. And if you are moving yourself up and down while you're supposed to be moving forward, it's like driving down a bumpy road. The rounder you're going, if you have to do something in a circle, like throwing a ball or swinging a bat, if it's very round, it can be very fast. But when you start to change the shape of it, and if we, if you trace a line where the ball goes as someone throws, you would see it is not as circular as it could be because the center of that circle is moving up and down. So he's wasting a little bit of, or he's losing a little bit of that momentum that he's trying to generate with the feet. Yeah. And what's awesome is like this picture, you can tell, look at that. He's got a ton of hip mobility, a ton of, it looks like he's got a ton of mobility and a ton of athleticism. It just looks like, shoring up like kind of kind of with Rooney is it feels like shoring up the way that lower half is working down the mound just could allow the athleticism to shine through so much better so much more something I think that is awesome about pitching for uh, young people especially is that you learn to discern the difference between good advice and bad advice you get a lot of practice weighing what information is actually helping you and what information is not. And you're always running a trial on that information. So a pitcher is going to have a a team coach, a personal coach, somebody else, every parent, every trainer, every manager, every teammate is going to have input. So this is the kind of situation where it's okay. If you're losing this because you're trying to get down the mound, then you got to undo that. And this kind of makes me the enemy of a lot of team coaches you got to learn to smile and nod. Okay, coach, got it. Thank you. 
And then if it doesn't work, you just don't do it. Yeah, Leslie, I think what were his velocities when he was throwing hard? And what is he throwing now? I think he's currently throwing a little bit harder, but I think he went from low 90s and I think it was low 90s to mid 80s. And now he's touching 90 again. Okay, great. In the last month that he started to creep back up. So I think if I could, if I could offer a perspective, something that would really help this guy is the idea that the entire motion, I love to make the analogy of dominoes, right? So if I have all these dominoes lined up, then each domino is going to hit the one after it. And if they're lined up, then you're going to have all of them go through. And this one is going to fall really nicely. But if they're not lined up, then it doesn't matter how hard I hit this one because the energy is not going to go through to here. So what it looks like to me is, and I think he's pulling his body through the entire way, which I'll get to in a minute is I think causing all the results that you're seeing with him, but basically he's got them lined up and he's not putting any force into this. He's trying to pull this last one rather than driving the first one and allowing that chain reaction to happen up and up and through. I don't see a ton of acceleration happening. And you see it like he looks long, but his foot plan is fine here. Like he's just a little long because he doesn't drive into, he doesn't take any ground force and transfer it forward. And that's because instead of when he gets to his load position, instead of using his load, he pulls past it. He's just basically falling down the mound and falling into almost all the right positions, which I find really amazing. And you could really see it when he gets to, Right about here, if you watch his trunk, like his, you want his trunk to rotate. But what happens is he ends up like pulling it through. Yeah, it just like shoves forward. It, he, it's referred to as trunk flexion or whatever you want to call it. But basically, instead of rotating, which is going to create a lot more energy up into the arm off your front foot, he's basically just pulling it forward. But it's because there's no, there's no acceleration, there's no force going through his body. So yeah, and like what. He, did, he doesn't hit the brakes like Rooney does. If you look at the way his left leg is working, right. it's not pushing him back. And so here's the magic of this is you're absolutely right. He's His front leg stabilization doesn't work the way that we really want it to. And you can really see it. it's not bad. And here's the thing. Like if you were going to stick your fist out right in front of you and you extend your arm and you had a fist in front of you and I was going to do the same thing and push against your fist, what would you do? Like naturally without saying anything, you're probably going to push my fist back. That's just human nature. So what's happening is this fist is not pushing this fist. So nothing is being caught. I've seen it time and time again. We're like, guys, if you transfer, if you use the ground this way as explosively as possible, like not a little bit, not a lot, like as much as you freaking can, then this energy has nowhere to go but back up because this is catching all the force that it's getting. But if it's not catching any force, there's nothing to transfer. And I think in that one frame right here. Yeah. The front foot needs to work almost like you're sliding across the kitchen floor. Yeah, and if we can contrast this again back to your boy Rooney, if you go through a few more frames <clears throat> through to release, we don't see that nice close to 90 degree angle that we saw with Rooney. So that, that's actually one of the telltale things that I look at. Is this pitcher maybe striding a little too far? Is he able to actually extend that lead knee and put that force into the pelvis to create that kind of 90 degree angle near ball release. So that's something that I look at is in, in a video where I'm saying, what I'm trying to think is this guy maybe striding a little too far. And, yes. and I would say he's only striding too far because he's not moving faster. 
If he was moving, this would not be too far. I'll say he's not moving faster because he's not driving off the mouth. <laughs> right? It's all so then, like you were saying before, you fix one thing, and then these other things will, will fall in line. The dominoes. It will happen. Just hit, he, he's lined up. Just hit this domino as hard as you freaking can, man. Yeah. yeah so we got to get back into that right foot. And so, yeah, no, that I think the lower half seems to be the, the root cause here. Well, I don't know about root cause. I don't know. I don't want to say cause, but it, it looks like this kid has a lot of athleticism, a lot of mobility, the things that you would need to throw really hard. It seems to be like the lower half is if you could shore that up a little bit, I feel like you could see a jump, a Rooney-esque jump if he's able to time that up. He's going to throw really hard. This kid's yeah. going to throw really hard when he applies forces from the right spots. Yeah. yeah I think the, the weight has to stay in his right foot longer. It's the weight is getting to his front foot immediately and it's not staying in his right foot and you can't push off the rubber or you can't push forward if you're not bearing weight down. So lower half. And I think we got to touch on because we are, it's so what's interesting is this is a really nice contrast to Rooney in a lot of ways. Cause I think we got to touch on what's going on with his arm right here. And it's, it perfectly relates to the exact thing that we were, we were chatting about at the end with Rooney is right here. If you draw the, the line through the spine, Mike, that is like the axis around which we're trying to rotate. And he's trying to rotate around that spine while the ball is like far, like farther away. There's room to have that ball be closer to the spine. So what's happening here is even if he's getting uh, momentum to that torso and the torso is starting to accelerate, again, I'm going to be the nerdy physics one. Oh, go ahead, Leslie. The, and you see here how now his form is upright. So he is, this is already him using his bicep to throw the ball. Yeah. He's already engaging his bicep. And if he's doing bicep, he's doing deltoid, and now he's getting pecs. So now all of this is starting to load up. So it's not going to come from the core. This is actually a good position if he's not rotated, if he's here. If the arm is here, when he's here, he's in good shape. I, I think he's actually just one frame late. Okay. Yeah, so... But I was going to say, right, so from a physics perspective, for people, for nerdy physics people like me, you, you apply a torque on something, right? So everyone knows force equals mass times acceleration. The rotational version of that is torque equals inertia times rotational acceleration. So if we, if we, if we were to cut this guy you know, off at the arm and we just stay, let's apply torque to that arm. You know, the torque that your torso is creating, let's apply it to the arm. So we have torque equals inertia times acceleration. So we have two variables there. So if we increase the inertia of the arm, by definition, the acceleration goes down, the arm drags. Whereas if we can decrease the inertia of the arm with the same exact torque, the acceleration goes way up. So that's why I think this is a, something that can give people some gains pretty fast is you, you don't actually need to add more torque you just need to reduce the inertia of the arm to make it easier to accelerate. And uh, was that understandable or did, should one of you guys translate that? Yes, it made, Jim, that made total sense, right? Because you're basically in, in lay terms, like if the, I want the ball to be, oops, I thought it was drawn there, ball to be as close to your spine as possible. So that, but the, Jim, the analogy that you used that I love that made so much sense to me was when a figure skater oh, starts yeah. getting closer to herself, she spins faster, yeah, right? Yeah. So outside you are from 90 the slower you're going to spin and the more 
at 90 or inside to 90 that you get to, the faster you're going to spin around the axis of rotation, which happens to be your spine. So he's about 90 here. And, and you can see just back and stay there. If, if I can say something about the elbow here, like when he got into that position where he had that 90 degree angle at the elbow, if he was going from acute to right, I think that's better, but he was going from obtuse. Yeah, to- exactly. Yeah, he's, it, it's almost like he's, he you knows consciously, subconsciously, it's almost like he knows he's got to reduce the inertia of that arm so he can accelerate it. Yeah, the body will protect itself. Yeah. Yeah, because again, we don't like to, or I don't, I'll speak for myself. I generally don't like to talk about injuries and injury risk, especially when I'm just looking at video, but just like in in a general sense, when the arm is longer, there's a lot of, like I said, the inertia is higher and you have some tiny ligaments in your elbow that are trying to drag that big inertia along. And those are things that can add to things that can not be great for your arm is if you're, if it's got a lot of inertia. And you're, you're relying on these ligaments, these tiny ligaments and these tiny forearm muscles to drag it along through. And this is what I think why people, when people like experience visually, like the arm is dragging. That's what I think that's a pretty apt way to frame it is like the muscles and the ligaments, they are literally dragging the arm through. Mm-hmm. So one thing I love to do for anybody who's wondering, how can I get somebody to feel this? And, and to feel that the club is a good one. I use plyos a lot, driveline plyos specifically. And all of my guides hate the blue plyo. They all hate it because it's so heavy and guy, but guys throw it when they throw it incorrectly. So IE outside 90, they feel it. And so I get people saying, isn't that a bad idea to throw a 14 ounce ball and feel discomfort. And we go, yeah, which is why you should stay inside 90. We throw it. <laughs> it forces guys to throw things the correct way. And then when they take it to a lighter baseball, it starts to, to transfer over. But if you're making obtuse throws, like I would say that you said, this kid is having elbow pain. This is why like yeah. his obtuse angle is probably why he's experiencing elbow pain because he's torquing his arm too far outside his axis of rotation. Mike, that reminds me of an, something that I have done with the foot. If they can't feel when their toe comes down or if their heel strikes or whatever, put something in their sock something scratchy, like a piece of plastic. It's not the nicest thing in the world to do. It doesn't feel good, but they're going to know when the toe hits the ground. It's a pitcher shock collar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It kind of is. <laughs> I think these, the comparing these two, it's pretty interesting. What's the same and what's not. And the difference is it's, it's timing or order or sequence or yeah. What's amazing about Garrett Cole is you take out the genetics of it. I think it's, he's just a freak genetically personally, but he's so perfectly timed with his rotation. That's all he does. He moves really fast. He's really strong and he times his rotation really well. That's pretty much it. Yeah. I think I've said this before, but I've analyzed like thousands and thousands at this point of uh, games and pitchers and no one's perfect. There's everyone has an inefficiency. It's just a matter of, do you do a few things really well? And, or do you do one thing exceptionally well? There's, everyone's got inefficiencies because everyone's body is different. It's really hard to be good at everything. But if you can do a couple of things, one thing exceptionally, then you can throw really hard and you can make the big leagues. Yeah. And with pitchers, you run into a lot of perfectionists and it's sometimes it's hard to uh, convince people that a 90% score is really pretty awesome. Yeah. You're not going to get a hundred. I've heard a quote, I don't know, maybe it was a president that said this years ago or something. And it said, perfect is the enemy of 
of good. good? Yeah, it is. Yeah, perfect is the enemy of good. Yeah. Yes, we'd rather be inconsistently. Oh, I'm sorry, we'd rather be consistently good than inconsistently perfect. And you try to be perfect, you're often never going to be perfect. Never. And you're never going to be consistently good. And yeah. you're going to feel bad, and it's going to be, you're going to have a lot of walks. Yeah. Ultimately. If you want yeah. to be perfect, more walks probably. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people have the, the personality or the mentality or whatever to be a perfectionist and still get their job done. Yeah. I think they get too worried about results. If you worry about output before you worry about input, it's not going to work. That's awesome. I think it's a really good way to wrap this up. Yeah. Is there any other, I think we covered the major points on Rooney and on this picture here. Any other, any closing thoughts, big picture thoughts or closing points on this picture? Mike in the chat mentions the, the psychology. There's a book by Daniel Coyle called The Talent Code. And he traveled the world going to talent hotbeds, asking what do they do? How do they do it? What is producing these results? How come you have this rundown building and you are producing Olympian after Olympian or whatever? And he came up with three things that they did in common. And one of them he calls deep practice. And before I heard that phrase, I didn't know this was a thing and I didn't know it was an unusual thing, but deep practice as he defines it is thinking about what you're doing, my words, thinking about what you're doing while you do it. And then thinking about that some more. And if you can think about what you're doing while you're doing it, you will improve at a faster rate than if you do not. So when you have the pictures that can never turn their mind off. They're going to be held up a little more. And if you have pictures that never turn their mind on, they're going to be held up even more than that. So there's this amount of thinking that you really want to be able to do. And even that varies by individual, like how well you can connect to the different parts of your body. I tell people it's like when you so you talk about how like when you do a motion or you do a skill or whatever, you start laying down myelin on the nerves and then the signal can go faster next time, faster, next time, faster, next time. And when you have a master level cellist, they have less brain activity than the novice because they have so much myelin laid down. They can think these thoughts very quickly. It's, it's like getting in your own car and driving. You don't even think about it or where you put your cell phone and your keys when you get home. You don't even think about it. You've done it a billion times. This was going somewhere. Deep practice. I love this. Um, Want me to help you while you remember the last yes, piece? You take a, it. I love it. So if I could give one piece of advice to any coaches who have not gone into this area, if you start to be and begin to understand practical psychology, how people think, including yourself, especially as you're coaching, you will experience a level of coaching and connectability that is something far beyond you thought was possible. And it's an enormous, it really is a superpower when you understand the cards that people are holding and how they're using them and how they're playing them and how they're receiving information is everything. Otherwise you're just jamming points home and you might get some results with some guys and some results with, or not some results with, with other ones. So if you begin to understand the, the brain and one analogy that I love in relation to what you're saying, Leslie, is most people can relate to riding a bike when they're a little kid. You learn to ride a bike and I don't know about other people, but I remember the day that I finally learned to ride a bike. I don't know what it was, like maybe seven, eight. And I just remember going like, how am I doing this right now? 
<laughs> I didn't understand. It just, it's like snapping your fingers. Like it just happened, but I did it so much that my brain just figured it out. And that's when you stop thinking. That's and right. Every single thing you do in your life is exactly the same way, including pitching something as complex as this. So if you're going to pinpoint the things that a pitcher needs to do to improve, in other words, leave the things they do really well alone and pick on the things that are weaknesses for them and hammer those things until they're habit, until the day you just learn to ride the bike, that's when magic starts unfolding. And that, yeah. that's how you get the best out of every athlete. And learning to balance a bicycle, there is a neurological change that is happening. So there is, it's not just learning it. It's not just understanding it because you can tell a kid like, yeah, get on the bike, stay steady, don't fall over. They understand that. They're just not physically capable yet. And the way I explain that when I'm coaching is if you use a PC, and you need to print, but you've never used this before. It says, find a printer, you click that. And then the printer starts sending a signal to the different ports and you'll see it port one, port two, port three. And eventually you'll find the printer and it'll print your document. Every time you try to bring that elbow in close or whatever, every time you attempt the adjustment as a pitcher or every time you attempt to balance the bicycle, your body gets a little better at doing it, a little closer to achieving what you were trying to do. And Oh, and if you don't do this all the time, if you do not do deep practice and you do not observe what you're doing while you're doing it, you're never going to be able to make an adjustment and you're not really in control of what you're doing. Now, if you just get a billion reps, they will normalize and you will start throwing the same way every time and begin to get a predictable result. If you're focusing on what you're doing while you're doing it, you'll get there a lot sooner. So some of that, it's, it's a maturity thing or a want to thing or, or even just a personality thing. It's awesome stuff. Absolutely awesome. Yeah, I think this, is, this was awesome. I love that we dove deep. It's a practical stuff. Really good stuff. This is awesome. I think we're good, right? You guys, any, any closing thoughts? I really appreciate your time. This is a lot of fun. I always learn a ton of stuff. And even just the turn of phrases from both of you guys is amazing. <laughs> Thanks, that was a lot of fun. I love talking about this stuff. Yeah, we'll do it again. Uh, Thanks for having us on, Jim. And I would just say that anybody listening, like really understand pieces of what you're trying to teach, become a master of your craft from every angle possible. Because it just allows you the opportunity to reach more people in different ways. And I think that's when you really start making an impact because if you get a couple guys, you can't help because of your lack of experience or knowledge in a certain area, then you're limiting who you can reach and who you can impact. So really learn from every direction. And it, Jim's a perfect example. Every time I learn from Jim, it, I, we talk about this a lot where you'll call me at 11 o'clock here and you'll tell me a piece of information. And I'm like, Jim, I'm supposed to go to sleep, man. Like I'm going to be up for four hours and do thousands of videos. Like oh, now I have to see something new. <laughs> And, uh, but if you just continue to pile on different ways and understanding information from different sources, there's really no stopping it. Yeah. And I think as the coach, your job is to teach them to self-coach and they should not need you very much eventually. And maybe you will always be useful to them as a sounding board. Hey, can you take a look at this? But they should be getting better at that. That's when you know you're teaching. Yeah, that's great. All right. I think we're good. Thank you. Thanks everybody for hanging out today. And hopefully we can do this again. This feels like a cool thing to do on a regular basis. Is let's take a picture. Let's take two pictures and let's break it down. So I love it. Thanks for having us, Thanks. Jim. 
Thank you for listening to the Reboot Insiders podcast. Be on the lookout for future episodes. And as always, feel free to reach out at insiders at rebootmotion.com or on Twitter at Reboot Motion.